It's them wise girls. It's the wise girls. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. It's them wise girls. Are the names uh-huh. Stay wise to the times is the game Relationships and money talk in the old way Oh, and if you didn't hear the name Just them wise girls Hey y'all, I'm Laura Wise And I'm K-Ray Wise Ryan And we are Dim Wise Girls Dim Wise Girls is a podcast that explores the experiences of the everyday black woman We invite you into our sister space where we explore our authentic selves and ask the questions that go beyond the cliche answers. Real sisters, spitting facts and seeking truth. Welcome one, welcome all to today's episode of Dim Wise Girls. I'm Laura Wise and this is my sister, Kay Ray Wise. Rhyme. Rhyme. <laughs> and we're bringing you today's episode. I'm actually going to let K-Ray steer the wheel. She's in charge of this episode. I'm in charge of this episode. Well, I don't know if I'm in charge, but I'll try to steal the I'll try to steer the wheel. I'll try to put my Oprah hat on today. Oh. And because this episode is everything about bougie bitch poetry. What? Yes. You get a book. 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 Yes. We're talking about Laura's long coming book of poetry, bougie bitch poetry, that will be released next week. Yeah. September 25th. September 25th. Bougiest day of September. Yes. <laughs> Bougie bitch poetry will be released to all the world for their splendor of enjoying your wonderful poetry. Wherever books are sold. Wherever books are sold. So today we're going to be talking about all of that. We're going to be talking about what's in this book. We're going to be talking about, we're going to be having our little Oprah Super Soul Sunday, our Oprah Book Club. We're going to get into it. I'm going to kind of interview Laura and get more insight about this whole process of compiling her writings. And uh, we're just going to get into it, y'all. We're going to get Yes. So get in a relaxing space. Pretend like you were too tired to go to church and you decided to flip on own instead of walking into the sanctuary. Um, You know, it's a good feeling when you finally realize you're going to stay at home that Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. When you're going to stay at home and have a breakfast morning. Yes, have and some breakfast. Just binge watch Oprah on, mm-hmm. or like whatever you find inspirational, even if it's like those YouTube prayer videos. Mom is very into those. <laughs> She's very into those. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. You've been writing, you've been writing for a really long time. How long have you been writing? Do you remember when you wrote your first poem? No, I don't actually. I can't say. I feel like, I don't know, like in kindergarten when they're like, everybody's going to write a book today. And they give you those white books that you can draw on. Uh-huh. Um, 
I feel like I've always written as a form of like self-expression and maybe I'm a poet just because I'm such a terrible journaler. <laughs> I just can't remember to journal every day. Mm-hmm. But when I really want to work through my thoughts, it's always easy to kind of like write a poem. Save a life, write a poem. Save a life, write a poem. Because if I didn't have poems, I'd probably be in jail. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes, yes. And you can see that throughout this book. Oh, my because there is very passionate. There's some very passionate poems. Um, there's a, there's there's everything in this book. There is pain. There's heartbreak. There's love. There's triumph. There's there's so much in this book. There's um, there's a little bit in there for everybody. I think, and I think that any woman can you know relate to this and take something from this. And I think that. I think it's going to be awesome. Y'all got to get the book, y'all. You got to get the book. I'm glad you feel that way. I feel like I feel like it's for black women, but mm-hmm. I feel like the universal experiences in it any woman can relate to, mm-hmm. but it's written in the tone and the styling of our culture. You know what I mean? Like of our modern day, like current culture. So the young girls can relate to it, the the older more mature season aunties is going to feel it because mm-hmm. uh, they're going to remember that place. Like, ah, I remember that girl. I ain't on it no more, but I remember. And I, I just think it's going to be super interesting to see how well, how well or not well it is received because it's really for the sisters, but it's for all women. For all women. Because <laughs> we're the most popular ones. We in the words of Solange. <laughs> yes. Put it down for the black girls. Uh, so what do you? What has led you to now to compiling these writings? I mean, so, I mean, these are poems from your, is this your whole work of, of poetry, do you say? You say there's, I mean, how far back, I know there's some really early poems in here, and there's some more up-to-date poems in here. So what do you think led you to now compiling these works? Uh, I guess because it took such a long time to put out a book that it does kind of cover a lot of territory of older poems plus newer poems. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I really fell into this book opportunity. Um, my publisher and my editor reached out to me and he was like, you know, you should really put together a book. And I was like, all right. <laughs> like it was, it was really that simple. It was kind of like, all right, I've been sitting on work for a long time. Uh, when it came down to curating it, I really want, I didn't want it to just be like a bunch of poems I threw in a book. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be curated um, so that it could feel like an experience. So I really just picked the poems that felt like they matched the experience. It's not every poem I've ever written. Mm -hmm. It's just everything that matched the unique experience that I felt like bougie bitch poetry was. And I wanted it to lead people through kind of like the lens of how we feel and determine a woman is bougie so you know like in my kitchen in my closet you know because you know you order something fan, you know can I have a lavender latte so it's gonna go oh girl I see what you want you bougie or you know if you're like you know I actually I only really I told somebody the other day like they like Shein and I was like well I only really buy Shein secondhand and they were like what I was like I don't buy firsthand Shein and they were like I don't understand I was like well I'm really not down with their practices as like a company, but secondhand, somebody's already purchased that. So I'm, 
I'm down with the conscious consumption of Shein. <laughs> so, there, what? What? So, I think there are just so many different avenues where you can be misunderstood or it can be taken the wrong way. So, I wanted the poems to match that energy. To match that energy, yeah. So, you were getting into a little bit of, a little bit about why you titled the book Bougie Bitch Poetry. Mm. Bougie Bitch Poetry, Poems for the Misunderstood and the Chronically Underestimated Woman. So just kind of expand a little bit upon, you know, why Bougie Bitch Poetry? Why did you title the book that? Uh, For real, for real? Mm -hmm. Mrs. Russell uh, on (laughs) The Gilded Age. She totally inspired Bougie Bitch Poetry. I think something about watching her be this underdog and being... um, I really related to it. I felt like she was in a space where she totally deserved to be there. And God, why am I relating to these rich white woman problems? I don't know. But I felt like she was in a space that was trying to like keep her out. But everything felt like, but this is where she's supposed to be. Look at her strategy. Look at the, Look at the gowns. Beautiful gowns. Uh, She was just so, and she was like, you know, when they when they shaded her and really hurt her feelings, she was like, I'm going to make them pay. And I think I related to that in so many different ways. And I feel like the last time somebody called me a bougie bitch was the last time I was uncomfortable with it. Like, they was like, you know what? Y'all some bougie bitches. And he was like, and Lord, why is you the bougiest bitch of them all? And I was like, thanks for the compliment. <laughs> Because, one, I checked the source of where it was coming from. Like, Mm -hmm. sir, please, get your life. And um, then it really made me feel like, you know what? I don't know what it is about my upbringing. I don't know what it is about the way I carry myself that makes people uncomfortable. But I'm no longer going to carry that as my individual problem. Mm. So that's where it was like the bougie is the misunderstood. The kind of like, why do you want to place me in these arenas that make you feel more uncomfortable? The bitch is like, pfft. If I'm going to be it, I'm going to be it. And the poetry is what I actually do. So that's how I came together. Bougie bitch poetry. Yeah. Woo. That's real. Just brought it all uh, together. All together. All, all together. All together from the Gilded Age. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Inspiration. Man, that's just, that's so, just so messed up. Like people just coming at you saying all kind of crazy stuff like that. Especially just be like a bougie bitch do you think you get it from men more than you've gotten a lot from more from men and especially maybe in relationships too i feel like you know what i'm actually i'm gonna say it's probably equal equal i think it's equal i think before women get to know me Mm -hmm. i feel like i can be taken as bougie but i think that's just because people who seem quiet at first like you're just gonna get labeled if you are any type of quiet where people can't instantly be like, I'm not picking a vibe up from her. She must be stuck up. She must be bougie. And I think, you know, look, I'm a slow burn baby. Right. Do I know you? I'm sorry. I, do I know you? It, it must be the church in me that makes me go, you know what? I'm going to give everybody five minutes to reveal themselves. And then I'll pick out who, who's a friend and who's maybe not. And I feel like men get into spaces with me where I think they want it. Not necessarily a bimbo and they get a scholar, but I think my outward presentation makes people think I'm going to be lighter and fluffier than I am. And that's really disappointing to men who rely on like visual aesthetics. Mm. So I think that's probably where the downfall of it with men is. It's like, but you seem so light and fluffy. Why are you a gangster? (laughs) 
And it's because I am. <laughs> you like, can't stop. Why are you so light and fluffy? And like, you really want this expensive cheese all the time, even when we broke? Like, hmm. No. Yeah. I do. I'm, I've, I've definitely gotten that before. And you know I'm quiet. I'm way quieter you way than you. more quiet than I am. I'm way quieter than you. And I've had some people before say, oh, I thought you were stuck up. And I was like, what? How, how could you think I was? I haven't even said anything to anyone. I know. And I'd be feeling so talkative and like outgoing and warm because mm-hmm. you're so, you're so shy. <laughs> then like when I get out in the world, people are like, you're quiet. I'm like, I am. My family keep telling me to shut up. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's been like, what? I'm stuck up. Okay. Uh, but, but speaking of being labeled bougie, um, I want to get a little, just a little excerpt, excerpt of um, one of the intro poems um, about being labeled in a way that, you know, you don't think really identifies with you by people. It says, please tell me about myself. Label me in a way that makes you feel more comfortable about your future mistreatment of me. Take me a little less serious. This is this disinterest in the real me your coping mechanism or a way to conceal your admiration? Mm. I felt that. You did? I did. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I, I think that especially in this political climate that we're in, um, it just really reveals people who cling to certain labels that they want to put on people. And it really is a, a mechanism to try to mistreat that person. To put them in a box that says, this is how you can be treated. This is what your place is. And if that label goes away, where's my justification to mistreat you? Boom. That's K-Ray. That is totally it. That's the long version of what I just said. I think the brain is trying to, the brain in your eyes, they're trying to protect you, mm-hmm. right? Like, so we build up all these defense mechanisms to kind of like quickly allocate who could hurt us and who could not hurt us. Mm-hmm. So if I look at you and I think, oh, you're a villain, then I can treat you like a villain even before you've revealed yourself to me. But I feel like I've protected myself. Ooh, yes. I protected myself. You're a villain and I'm a good person. And I feel like, even villains have backstories that yeah. make you like like ma- Maleficent. <laughs> I can't say. I can't pronounce it. I don't watch it enough. Um, but when they tell you the backstory of like the Wicked Witches, you'll be like, oh, my God, no wonder she's a witch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where that comes from is I feel like because I've heard women go, oh, my gosh, you're so feminine. I'm like, uh, I'm a girl. <laughs> um and I don't know if necessarily know if that's a bad or a good thing when they're saying it. I think they're just kind of saying like, oh, you seem so comfortable with seeming soft and vulnerable, like in the way that you kind of like present yourself. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And I think that, you know, that makes you think like, well, she's soft and she's feminine, but she's not talkative and she's not trying to involve herself and necessarily in the mix. She must be stuck up. Mm-hmm. She must be mean she like and it just and that way you're not necessarily disappointed by the person's behavior when you've Mm. already kind of pre-assigned them an identity yeah yeah I think I think definitely with the way our brain works and just how we interact with people the way you have to move in the world and that that innate feeling of wanting to protect yourself I think we just love the feeling of having things figured out it's a control thing yeah 
you feel like you're in control if you've got something figured out and you try to do that with the least amount of information as possible so you can because i don't have time to learn about you yeah yeah <laughs> i don't have time to learn about you like bumping past you in the street um meeting you at work like i don't have enough time to like actually identify your humanity i only have time to identify will this person hurt me will this person not hurt me mm-hmm. and you know especially in like i feel like everybody's getting like really amped up anxiety about kicking people out of their life keeping people in their lives and it's just kind of like this big oh, hamster wheel of like in out in out and i think we got to slow down and like identify humanity mm-hmm. in in other people um and in ourselves like and in ourselves like let's even if you did prejudge somebody, like, offer yourself some forgiveness because you know you was trying to protect you. But, you know, also chill, chill, chill and recognize, like, these are humans just trying to function. Yeah. Ooh, we all we all just out here trying to make it. Oh, we all just trying to make it. We all trying to work through, get through, heal. But, girl, being a black woman, your identity is pre-assigned to you, like, four, five times where anybody talked to you. It is. Yeah. Like, they already, you know, assigning you an identity because you're a black woman. If you carry yourself a certain way, that's another identity. It's like on top of each other. Mm -hmm. And then you got to come out with the black girl magic and let them know, I'll do it on you. (laughs) You got to let them know. You got to let them know. I would have to say that I think that a theme that kind of runs, one of the themes that kind of runs through the book is church. You talk about church in several different poems. Do I? Uh, You do. I think you do talk about church. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you think church and religion has impacted your feelings and your circumstances of feeling and being misunderstood? I think church might have been one of the first places I was misunderstood. One of the first places I was intensely loved, but one of the first places I was um, definitely misunderstood. I don't think, I don't think the world was ready for me, especially not the world of church. Um, having a five-year-old <laughs> no, question I, I don't think what so. the pastor is saying, it was like, girl, if you want to be quiet, like, you know, <laughs> red lips mean kiss me and me being five years old. What? <laughs> What, sir? I don't think that's correct. <laughs> I mean, I can't. Yeah. I don't have a reading comprehension level to give me full c- encompassing knowledge of the Bible, but that still sounds wrong. Um, <laughs> Just, you know, I think the lucky part is, is that we had like really laid back parents for like church parents. We did. I would have to say that our parents were more, a lot more lenient than other parents that I saw in the church. Yes, they were super lenient. And I think I, I think they were lenient in the hopes that we'd be well-rounded like lawyers. Sorry. Um, <laughs> now they just got laid back creatives. But uh, <laughs> they're like, damn it, should have been more strict. Yeah. Uh, yeah I just got people who want to, kids who want to be creative and the other one wants to work in nonprofit. <laughs> Yes. Oh, my so, gosh. Okay. It gave us tender hearts, but it did not give us um, corporate ambition. Yeah, it did not. Uh, yeah, I think church was definitely one of the first places I was misunderstood because I was always questioning stuff like, why can't we wear pants? I really want to wear this pantsuit. I want this McCall's pattern pantsuit. You can't wear pants to church. But why? You let me wear them to school. I can wear them everywhere else. It's 
It's 87 degrees and it feels like it's 102 today. Why must I wear pantyhose? <laughs> Why? Um, or, you know, our parents let us paint our fingernails or get our ears pierced. And it was always a point of contention. And mm. it felt like, why do these things make me a bad person? And just things were outside of our control. Like, you know, them pretty dresses ain't going to keep you from going to hell. Ma'am, I'm eight. Ma'am, I'm eight. I just want, can I just buy my Boston baked beans and my lemon heads and go sit with my mama in service, please? Please. Oh. Please. So I think that definitely. But church also grounded me. Church also gave me a really strong sense of moral values. It, it, it gave me things that I feel like ultimately make me a better person. But it also, it was the place where questioning definitely started. Questioning authority. Questioning authority. Questioning authority definitely started in church. I have to say so, because you remember being older, you remember a lot more of the side comments like the one you just <laughs> said than I do. Um, who knows where I was or what I was doing. Um, Girl, somebody was giving you candy, telling you, <laughs> oh, Carrie, you're so pretty. Here's some candy. That is what church was like. Church was like, oh, Carrie, you're... Because I feel like people, see, you're also being prejudged because people assume because you are quiet that, like, you're the nice, good one. <laughs> you're like, Carrie's so nice. I'd be like, nah, Carrie just ain't, she ain't confronting you and she ain't saying shit. But <laughs> later on, she don't tell me how she really feel. <laughs> so I feel like people are like, oh, look at Laura. She's over there being bad. But Carrie, she's right here quiet. She's not doing anything to disturb the peace. She's good. Laura's bad. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, that, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I think that that actually, I think be, being labeled a good girl actually got me into some trouble in my teen years that I didn't, a lot, well, a lot came to the light, but um, yeah, it got me in some trouble over the years, like trying to fight against that label and mm -hmm. being like, all these people are telling me what I am and I don't know, and it just didn't feel good. It's like, I don't even know who I am yet and y'all are all telling me who I am. I'm going to buck against that a little bit, you know. I mean, not crazy stuff like some people wouldn't think it was crazy. But for me, it was, it, it was, it was out of character for you. It was out of character you. for me. I think when we do label girls like that, and I feel like in church you're getting labeled fast. Like, Ooh, yeah. well, you are getting labeled as fast and you get labeled quickly. <laughs> 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 I, I do think that that, and it doesn't give you time to form who you are or it makes you question who you are when maybe you wasn't going to question it. Because mm -hmm. I think I definitely made decisions. I think I probably went balls to the wall a lot because people were saying I was bad. Mm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like maybe there were some things that I might have held back on or not did because I didn't necessarily think I was bad. I was just being original and authentic or being true to myself. Mm -hmm. And nobody was prepared for a six-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 13-year-old to be authentic and true to themselves. I think that being labeled bad made me feel like, well, I might as well go ahead and make this decision since I am bad. I'm going to be bad. You know you know how I am. Yeah. Once once you've started it, yeah. I'm going to finish it. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get the last word, bruh. Y'all last worders. Y'all can be exhausting. I'm going to just say that. Y'all some exhausting people. I'm glad I don't feel the need to have the last word because... Some of y'all last words. There's there's a few last words in my life if y'all want to know. So it just be like, 
I don't, I don't understand. It's y'all crazy. <laughs> Carrie don't want the last word, but she certainly gets the last dig, and it could be silent. I don't know about that, but mm. stick that in your stick <laughs> that in your tea, Oprah. So another theme throughout the book, and then you know I've heard your poems. Mm-hmm. You've, you've done spoken word. You've read me your poems. I've for all these years, and I have to say, seeing them all together, one after another, um. I felt like there's a lot of pain in here, a lot of pain, a lot of heartbreak, um, a lot of detailing what that feels like and what mm-hmm. that looks like. I'm going to read another little excerpt. Okay. Um, one of my favorite stanzas in here is, I'm tired of bad news, exhausted from being a black woman, completely stretched out, and I'm uncertain if I have the elasticity to bounce back from being inundated with unpleasant realities. I really like that. I really that really spoke to me. Feeling stretched out, um, not feeling like you have the flexibility to come back from just hard situations and hard times. And can you just talk a little bit more about what it felt like to compile compile these? And did you see that theme? Did it bring back any feelings? Um, of the heartbreak and the pain that you detailed in your poems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because um, some of those poems, like, poems can, like, be, like, trendy clothes. Like, you almost forget you wore that at some point. Like, you be like, mm-hmm. oh, damn, I wore them bell bottoms. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit, I forgot about that. Um, and it just brings back everything all at once so it was like a lot of late nights of compiling all these pieces together and I would have to read them to see what went where to curate the book and definitely it, it there were poems that were older that kind of felt like oh god I don't even really want to remember feeling like this and then sometimes you remember who the feeling is attached to be like hmm mm-hmm. fuck them niggas on the west side <laughs> um and then <laughs> and then uh, definitely, definitely. I feel like it brought so many things back. It brought a lot of common things back. And it let me know, like, when I really do rely on my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think guys think that, like, I think they, I feel like guys must assume that, like, I'm constantly cussing them out. But usually I'm not. I'm probably, like, quiet, processing. And then I'm going to my notebook. And that is where I cuss you out. <laughs> Because I don't take any breaks. It's uninterrupted. It's like, ah, and I'm good now. Mm-hmm. Um, except for that one nigga. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> that one. So you would say your writing definitely helps you cope and help you kind of process and heal from some of this pain? Yes, it definitely helps me cope and heal from some of the pain. Um, the poem that you read the excerpt from, uh, that was a different type of heartbreak. That wasn't like regular heartbreak. That was, I had lost my friend. Mm-hmm. I had, we were going through the pandemic and I just, I mean, losing him, losing my friend Morantz really like, it really felt like the bottom of the ocean. Um, maybe even beneath the bottom. Like it was a really dark time for me and I really didn't know if I was going to bounce back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I really didn't know if I was going to be like genuinely happy again. 
Because I think the the cruel thing about pain is is that people are only interested in your pain for such a limited amount of time. Because like life is going on, mm-hmm. and you have to kind of like shelve the pain for everybody else to say. Because like everybody else ain't in pain. Like we gonna have to like come above that. I think it was interesting because my friend he said. That, you know, like, you know, you, you go through heartbreak and then you get over it. And I was like, I don't know if we necessarily get over some heartbreak. I think we just learned to shut up about it. Mm. And that was probably a time where I was learning to shut up about it. Because, I mean, who wants the one person running around like, my boyfriend is dead um, <laughs> all the time. I thought, like, at that point, I had just kind of learned to shut up about it. But I was truly... In, on my interior wondering, like, am I going to really bounce back from this and ever really, like, put my pieces back together again? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that's heartfelt. That's deep. Um, it's a lot, yeah, to go through all that pain. And it's hard. It's just hard to know. I mean, because nothing you can say. I know you should you should say things to people when they're in pain and, and they've lost someone. It's just like, but you know, the things go through your mind. It's like, there's nothing I could say. There's nothing it's I could so say. It's so true. Could. I usually tell people now, like, there's really nothing I can say to make you feel better. Yeah. And I genuinely know that. Like, yeah. In a different way now. Um, because, like, that was my homie. That was, like, the other side of my coin. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, me and Marantz were, like, so much of the same person in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we were extreme opposite of each other. Like, definitely heads and tails. So to lose, like, all those inside jokes, all those memories, all that time mm, yeah. was, it was hard. It was definitely hard. But eventually, eventually I started to, like, come back and feel like myself again I think the best part about heartbreak is is once you've gone through enough of them you kind of know like the you that before the heartbreak is like never coming back Mm. you before that heartbreak it ain't never coming back and when you lose that expectation you can like form you can form uh, a you that is happy you can form a you that is more informed and like you'll come out better but if you keep expecting the version of you before your heartbreak to come back, you're going to always be disappointed. Yeah. It's funny that we have that saying, it's like, I want to get back to what I used to be. I'm trying to get back to, it's like, you can never get back to a place. No. You can never get back to who you were before. You, you always get to a new place and hopefully that new place you feel, you feel better and you feel you know, different. You feel maybe you feel stronger, but you'll never get back to the exact that exact place with all those variables and circumstances and those feelings. No, you hopefully get to a new place where it's um, a new place that's happier, and you get to a place where you understand like where things are necessary, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily you you definitely don't get who you were back. Yeah. Oh y'all, y'all. Okay, I'm going to say because I'm about to start crying. Don't cry too much. Oh, okay, so um, another thing I'm curious about is: did this feel um, does this feel different to you than presenting, you know, your sp- your poetry um, through spoken word? Yeah, it does. It does. It's 
it's actually like a more relieving feeling mm-hmm. than spoken word. Like I like spoken word, but I probably do spoken word because I want people to hear the things I wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I think some people like love getting up on stage and okay. I and I love getting up on stage and I love performance and I love the act of cuz I feel like spoken word can be theater. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not I love I like slam and I understand the competitive nature of it and how it it progresses the art and helps people to understand it. But I like the theatrical and to like theater, you have to like the writing because you got to write the, <laughs> you got to write the dialogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I felt like this was like a dope place. Cause I wanted to do a book before we ever did like spoken word CD compilations and things like that. I always felt like, but I want a book, but I did CDs cause it was easier. Cause it was like, you know, the, the opportunity hadn't presented itself, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to put out a product that I wasn't proud of. Yeah. So this definitely felt more fun because I, I like writing. I like screenplays. I like stage plays. I like I like all those things. So this felt like a really good opportunity to have, like, a more curated experience of my work. Mm. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's such a beautiful book. It's pink. You're looking fabulous on the cover. Thanks to Shia. You're looking fabulous. It's it's just it's just gorgeous. It's just emanating. It's just it's it's giving you Beyonce. Okay. It's giving you everything. <laughs> um so I have one more question. Okay. And it's just that what do you want people to take away from this book? Um, empathy. Hmm. Empathy, actually. Um There are so many different poems in the book where I describe not only myself as women, but just women, women that I've encountered, um, especially like in the in my hood section Mm -hmm. uh, where I kind of it's so observational in that part. And I hope people have empathy, like real, like they want to take a beat before they judge somebody or if they have judged somebody, they want to give somebody a second chance to really reveal themselves. And I hope they get empathy for themselves as well. Uh, yeah. Wonderful. Yes. You get a book. You get a book. You get a book. You get a book. <laughs> yes. Here we are, y'all. It's called Bougie Bitch Poetry. It's going to be released September 25th, wherever books are sold. Uh, you can also go to bougiebitchpoetry.com for Dot more com. information. Uh, y'all, this is a great work of literature book of poetry a book of poetry for your soul okay this and is for the hood. this is the real chicken noodle soup for the soul right here you get it um what's bougier than chicken noodle soup this is a real mm. lobster bisque for the soul oh okay, okay. Some bisque okay, okay. yes yes mm-hmm. the expensive lobster yes I'm so excited for you. Um, I am. And it's all it's all it's all wrapping up. It's all coming to a culmination. Your release party is um uh, your book signing is next week, next yeah. Sunday. On September twenty fifth. On September twenty fifth. Um I think the book signing is gonna be awesome. We're it's it's gonna be nice. Uh, there's also gonna be a panel discussion with mm-hmm. three other super dope ladies. Mm-hmm. Um with January York, who is an author and a poet as well. She's doing such And she big, wrote the foreword of the and book. And she wrote the foreword of the book. Uh, she's going to be on the panel, and she's going to read the foreword, because she just did such a 
good damn job of writing a foreword that mm. she must read this aloud. Must required reading. And uh, Andrea Carter, uh, Andrea, and then I'm also having Tisha um, from Mob Chic. They're all going to be on the panel and we're going to just discuss kind of some of the themes that run throughout the book. But it is a bougie power panel. Power because the ladies are powerful and power because it's going to be quick. So <laughs> I don't want to keep nobody hostage. I know black people got things to do. I'm going to keep it black, but I'm going to keep it brief. Just like the sister on TikTok. Keep it brief. Yes. Yes, y'all. Well, I think we're going to wrap this one up. I think this has uh, been a great episode. Oh, my goodness. Ah, I think it's been great. I think it's been great. And... Um, again, September 25th, where books are sold. More information is at bougiebitchpoetry.com. So govern yourselves accordingly, people. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And until next time, we will catch y'all on on the the flip flip side. Peace. Word to the wise. You can check out all of today's film and TV references, as well as where to follow Them Wise Girls on all social media platforms. In today's episode description, Them Wise Girls is a Wise One production and executive produced by Laura Wise and Catherine Wise Rhine. Our theme song was written, produced, and performed by Vibe One. Oh, and if you didn't hear the name, it's Them Wise Girls. Wise Girls. Wise Girls.